Now, our never-ending pop culture road trip takes us from New York to a small paper company in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We're like friends. I am Chandler and Joey and Dwight is Kramer. The Pop Six takes a look at one of the most celebrated comedies of the century, The Office. Put my stuff in jello again. I like waking up to the smell of bacon. Sue me. Boy, have you lost your mind because I'll help you find it. Ryan started the fire. I'm in love with you. What? What you want, a cookie? You always left me satisfied and smiling. Nothing worthwhile can be easy, folks, but welcome in. It's time for The Office, Episode 3. We had a plan, and we've had to back that plan up because of ineptitude, probably on all of our part. In some way, we are not regional manager material. We are not management material. Anger management as Andy would tell us, but here we are. We're talking about The Office. We're talking about Seasons 5, and we're going to talk about 6, too. We're going to spend a lot of time on 5, along with David Reed, along with Rhett Bryan. I'm Jason Martin. I said this when I had you on a couple of days ago, Rhett, on the Big 6 here on The Zone. I said, I'm a little bit overwhelmed with how many people are actually listening to this. Um, You know, We had several hundred listening to the Friends deal, and it was getting a little bit bigger, and maybe the name recognition of people just starting to pick up on the fact that this exists is helping. But I wasn't expecting four numbers two days after we got this thing four launched digits, on yeah. Friday. I was I was very I'm humbled by it, quite frankly, because all we're doing is talking about something that we love and, and and a lot of the response and some of you have been sending me stuff on private DM and certainly saying stuff to all of us via Twitter you guys are really digging this, which is making us want to do it, which is which made my homework this week that much easier. Not that it needed to be. Uh, I didn't need any extra oomph when it came to season five to sit down <laughs> and enjoy season five. But we are um, we're getting to the peak, which of course means then we start to take a descent. So oh, we'll be talking man. a lot of positives, and then we're going to start talking about some negatives on this show. But I think, you know, Rhett and I were talking about some of the things that we missed on the season's past. And one thing that I don't know we discussed far enough, and I want to, we're going to get into five and at the end of four, it sort of sets the stage for five, but dinner party. Let oh, us man. go back to one of the more awkward, she took me by the hand. That's it. Made me a man. And then I'm going to stop there because I'm going to blow it right there. That but one night, didn't you get the feeling that she was that he was singing about Jan? Oh, absolutely! Like at, without like any question, absolutely. And she that knew would it totally too. be her mo. We're sitting here drinking iced diet Dr. Peppers out of the <laughs> vending machine, which is sort of a blessing because uh, my wonderful girlfriend told me that she's like sort of addicted or was back in the day to like movie iced Coke. She ain't wrong. Like iced soda, like when it's especially when it's not like you've put ice in it, but it's just kind of icy. I'm not not a fan of oh, Anything this. with ice slivers in it like that? Yeah. It's big time. Yeah, slivers or icicles that you look up and they penetrate your brain well, like that, Dwight assumed that, it happened yes. to. Uh, <laughs> that's totally different, but yes. There was a uh, there used to be a uh, gas station in Columbia that sold a delicacy during the summertime. It was a uh, frozen sun drop. You ever had a, oh, well, I was about to say frozen Mountain Dew, but I know your affinity for sun yeah. drop. I'm a sun drop guy. Sundrop's good stuff. Man. I have a t-shirt that says that. I thought it was just in my hometown of Martinsville for a long time because I didn't see it when I moved to right. North Carolina. And then I get here, 
And here's Diet Sundrop staring me in the face again with all that sodium. Just chilling like glorious sodium that it is. It's great stuff. It is. Sundrop and Sunkissed. Two very uh, good diet drinks. Yeah, that's good choices. I'm totally on board for that. So the dinner party, they were not drinking that. No. Uh, <laughs> I went. I mean, I went back and watched it again, and just it is so uncomfortable from moment one to moment last. It's amazing television. Oh, it is, David. You know, the one of the things that stands out to me in this. And it's there's multiple storylines and and good shots in this thing. Uh, is the whole deal where Jan is convinced that Michael and, and Pam, Pam yeah. were once a thing? Yes, <laughs> I love and how Pam tries to tell her. I never, ever, ever, never, never, ever, ever, never, never, never thought about, never. wanted to be. <laughs> I just in <laughs> I had this discussion with Jason earlier this week about an episode that we're going to talk about in tonight's podcast, but. Jason keeps describing a lot of these episodes and these moments as uncomfortable. And I'm like, but I'm very comfortable in watching these moments that you call uncomfortable. What does this actually say about me? I don't really want to discuss what it says about you. <laughs> well, I think there's certainly, at, on the, at the very least, a level of dysfunction there. You also have to love that, like, uh, Pam saying never, ever, ever. And Angel's like, I've seen how you look at him. Oh, like, yeah. totally oh, bashing yeah. dog oh, Pam, yeah. um, yes. Just making it ten times worse. Yes. Michael, of course, buys the flat screen plasma that he oh, yeah. <laughs> he decided he was going to splurge and get. I can't get enough of that shot when he just says, "I like, I love this TV." If we need more I'll room, stand here. Oh, when we need more room, and he pushes it back literally three inches. And that comes right around the time that we're discussing the crudely built uh, coffee table. Oh my end gosh. Table deal that is either uh, cherry or Nordic pine. <laughs> And it looks like um, I don't know, like an eight year old was let loose in the uh, in in the wood shop. So well, actually, made what of- about Michael's bed? Well, that he like curls up that he fits not, into. Well, and let's not forget Pam getting onto him for not cleaning and straightening up, which yes. means move the camera and the tripod. <laughs> 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 the candles. Oh yes, Jan's candle business. Serenity by Jan, which is an oxymoron in and of itself. You know, I, you know, when you think about the dinner party episode, one thing that comes to mind to me as I've watched through five and six is certainly Pam and Jim, but also the infancy of Michael and Holly in that I was told years ago when I was hanging out with the wrong women <laughs> that eventually when it came around, it would be easy, that it's not supposed to be you know, you trying to change everything about yourself or the other person trying to change everything about you or themselves to fit into some kind of round hole. And you look at what Michael Scott did. Michael Scott tried to be the right person for Donna. He tried to be the right person for Helene. He tried to be the right person for Jan, who was all wrong for him in every way. But at that point, he just felt like he was entirely desperate. Every relationship that he went through, and the same thing is true for Andy, as he tried to make himself whatever, the same way he's tried to be a yes man for Michael Scott. That's also how he approached relationships in the same way. And you saw that entirely like Roy and Pam. It was never easy with Roy and Pam. And even though there was a long story to get to Jim and Pam, Jim and Pam was easy. Mm -hmm. Pretty much from the start. Once they got together, it was easy. And they left them alone for a while. Michael and Holly was easy. Exactly. Yeah. 
and you see I think the I think that we look at easy and we don't necessarily see it for what it is. What easy is is you can be you. And that person likes all of that. And that that is what allows Michael to evolve is that Michael can just be that goofball because she's that goofball for him. And Jim and Pam just clicked from the start as friends. And it seemed like Pam thought that it was always going to be a friend thing. And Jim would say numerous times over the course of the seasons we're going to talk about today, he knew from day one that that's who he wanted to be with. He knew from moment one when he first met her, the first day that he met her, that way. So they came at it from completely different sides and ended up in exactly the same place because that's what was supposed to happen. Well, one of the, one of the more iconic sh- uh, moments in the show for me is when Michael and Holly are meeting and she first starts talking back to him in a, in a weird voice. Yes. And the look on his face is like, oh, Oh, someone okay. actually finally gets yes. this. Acting. Someone gets me. <laughs> dip, 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 yes. <laughs> I mean, and you know what? I was sitting there watching towards the end of six. I know we're bouncing around a little bit. And we're about to kind of rein it back in. But when Andy and Aaron, when Andy went to Aaron's house, and her brother, her foster brother, was there, yes. and like Andy <laughs> now, now and Aaron, that 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 made me uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Like him putting his arm around yes, her in yes, the chairs, yes. like we go sit in the sit in that recliner over there. It's the best seat in the house. It was a little bit weird, but like the Aaron character to me is a microcosm of where this show went in six, and we'll get there. But let's go back to five. Five starts with a two part episode about weight loss. Stanley loses seven pounds during that he during that good. time frame. He's feeling good. He's sitting there. What was he doing? He had like reams of paper that he was lifting to try and strengthen his feet at the bottom. Yes. And he talked about how he looked in that old photo when he had the afro (laughs) back when he was in the fraternity in college. Um, That was a – it was interesting. It was more just the other stuff that was going on around that. that The weight loss part was just kind of – It was there. Yes. It was just sort of – Yes. Extremely tertiary, Dave. That's right. I'm going to teach everybody in this building what tertiary means. That's a good thing. Just don't make me spell it. Last week at at Sports Fest, after Dave McGinnis told his Bears story, I said, you know, Coach, when I said trunk, I said I was hoping you were going to truncate it. He's like, I don't know what the hell truncated means. (laughs) On any level. And I said, Coach, that means shortened. That means abbreviated. But, uh, yeah, so Holly is there, and you immediately see the chemistry with, and not just the chemistry with Michael Scott and Holly, but the on-screen, like, it fits with Amy Ryan and Steve Carell. Like, they know how to play these two roles where you immediately want to see them together. Like, you've already got Jim and Pam. Andy's got his wedding with Angela, which is, my goodness, is that thing wrought with problems. Yeah, and all of his deposits on uh, honeymoons. Deposits on various honeymoon spots. And, and of course, uh, she's having sex with Dwight in the warehouse. Because we see Rain Wilson far too often in this series in a wife beater. Yes. Shirt like it happens yes. entirely too often in entirely too many different ways, and the proposal happens, and it kind of it kind of catches you off guard. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what: before he got on his knee in the rain outside of that convenience store, which I'm sure is just called convenience store, <laughs> that's where the convenience store bags come from. Nothing, nothing was more perfect, at least up until Holly and Michael's proposal episode, which I continue to believe is one of the finest episodes of TV period I've ever seen and one of the more just rewarding experiences I've had as a viewer ever. This was perfect. 
like this was a beautiful way to do this after sort of the tease of tying her shoe and at the uh, fun run, yes. Yes, and Andy getting in the way of what Jim was planning uh, on doing at the Toby's end of the season. Party. Yes, yeah. at Toby's goodbye. This was pitch perfect for exactly what these characters have been. Because if you really look at Jim and Pam, their relationship has been through mundane circumstances in the middle of a pretty nondescript, boring office at a paper company. And they found a way to make to bring sunshine out of the rain. And here they are in an absolute downpour outside of the most normal piece of Americana you're going to find in just a random convenience store where they're meeting with no time, and that's where Jim does it. It's not a grand gesture. It's basically a microcosm of what those two characters have been to each other from the beginning. And going back to a second to, to Michael and Holly's development towards their relationship – you know, they have the multiple weigh-ins in the warehouse. And, you know, Holly has been stood up by this guy. And she's got the concert tickets. Yes. And I can't remember. What was the show? Was the it- tickets were Counting Crows tickets. Yes. And he's like, finally, he's like, I'm, I'm going to take care of this. And he just ripped the tickets up. So Michael's still a little dumb. He's, he's a little bit of a dull to be ball. awkward, but there's a connection there, obviously. Because she, she was basically telling him, let's go to this concert. Yes. He's like, I want to buy them off you. And then he just rips them up right in front of her. And the look on her face, she gets the office facial expression right oh, off yeah, the bat. Yeah. She knows how to play that character. And, of course, Ryan comes back. Yes. As a temp. Oh, yeah. He's been to the top of the mountain. He's played with the big dogs. And I'm speaking like B.J. Novak mm. because, my goodness, we I wanted to ask Jeff this question. I'll ask him next week. Maybe we can ask it now because we'll have various polls as we go through this. Who's your least favorite character on this show? Ryan. I think it's not even close. Yeah, it's got to be. I don't even think of anyone else off the top of my head. And I love it because BJ Novak so- is one of the executive producers of right. the show, and he wrote himself mm. to be not a hero. He just, just becomes a total so jerk-off. Tiresome, tiresome and needy. Pretty much like, at first you thought, oh, okay, he's just kind of a temp guy. He's probably going to mm. be fun to watch. Nah, like yeah. after midway through maybe season two, I'd had about enough of Ryan's character. So you root against him continuously. Even when the like Michael Scott paper company thing starts, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, he's still annoying. Now mm-hmm. he does provide maybe the best line of the whole show, which I told you about last night at Hutton's oh, yeah. Leukemia and Lymphoma <laughs> yes. Society event. Me and a friend of mine used to just do that. He used to be my assistant when I was a store manager at GameStop, which I'm going to bring up again. <laughs> and I remember he did it to me once. Like, I was behind the counter, and he was, like, back coming off of lunch. He's telling me, get back to work, shoe bitch. Mm. It's great stuff, man. It's absolutely great <laughs> stuff. So weight loss, they don't end up winning, but they all, you know, play pretty hard. And at this point, Kelly is trying to look good. Oh, man. And she's emaciated, and she's put a tapeworm inside her, except yeah. it's not a tapeworm. Who was it sold it to her? Creed? Yes. Creed has some Creed cuts in and out of this show like we've talked about before, <laughs> but he's got some highlights during these couple of seasons. Just some of the stuff he talks about outrageous. And poor Kelly, you're right. I mean, she looks like death. <laughs> she absolutely <laughs> just Kaylin's eyes. It's her oh, eyes. Oh, yes, man. absolutely. And that goes with her complexion and everything anyway. And man, she just hits the deck and passes out during one of those weigh-ins. Low-key, another character that I don't really like is Phyllis. Really? Really? I feel like she's selfish. Like, the more that I'm watching her in these last couple of seasons, she's rubbing me entirely the wrong way. 
Okay. Can you give me an example? I, mean, I think we'll get to them as we go through because okay. they'll sort of jog my memory. So business ethics is the third episode. Now, the, the first two did a 9.2 rating. Then we moved to an 8.99. Now, the show's going to drop, and then it's going to pick up, actually, when Holly gets transferred to Nashua, which that's a really solid episode. We'll talk about it here in just a second. But Ryan, of course, has dealt with a scandal, and now Holly's got this ethics seminar, and it doesn't go well because no seminars that take place inside Dunder Mifflin Scranton go well. And continually... Awkward things happen happen in that conference. Meredith, man. <laughs> Meredith getting Outback Steakhouse coupons <laughs> and discounts from a supplier for having sex in in a random, like, inn. Which she was down for to begin with. What I love is that Holly is doing what you would think a HR person would have to do An in that admirable situation. admirable job. Becomes yes. a villain, sort of. Even Michael doesn't appreciate it because he doesn't like it she has to do this job all of a sudden maybe it's not toby maybe it's hr even though he's not ever going to figure that out because toby's still pure evil to him has has at this point toby already have we already seen him hurt did that happen at the end of weight loss where he got hurt off the zip line in costa rica at the very end of the episode he's like it's nice to have saw. visitors it was pretty early on yeah it was early on uh when we really when he's had the halo hurt. on <laughs> right yes the halo <laughs> all right so but so when they go to the HR person, though, Holly tries to get this across, and he's like, it's kind of a gray area. Why don't you just get them to sign the stuff? Like, we don't actually care what they're doing, and which, this is something that's helping out the company. So Right, sh- which speaks to how hypocritical clo- HR is. and how Except cl- in this building, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but it also speaks to how close the company is, is to being insolvent. How oh, troubled right. the, yes. the structure they is. They can't afford to right. it's play like, okay, it straight hey, just, anymore. Yeah, just... Look the other way. Well, in defense of Meredith, though. They're LSU basketball. Who amongst <laughs> us hasn't done something questionable for a free blooming onion? It's a valid point. It seems like that should be on your tombstone, Dave. <laughs> Probably because whatever puts you in the tombstone is, <laughs> is what led you to that blooming onion. Also, low-key, a great um, kind of side story is the time theft. And how Dwight says um, <laughs> he doesn't waste any time. And Jim and with Jim the stopwatch. Jim with that stopwatch. 14 seconds. 9 seconds. 32 seconds. Small talk with coworkers. 7 seconds. Where could you have been for the last 19 and a half minutes? In the warehouse with you-know-who. Does Jim know by this point? Jim hasn't figured this out yet, I don't no, think, right? I don't think I, so. I think Pam Because he catches it later on. He right. catches him kissing in the office. Right. Yeah, it's Pam. That's That's right. Now Jan's having a baby in the fourth episode. Oh, yes. Ass turd. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you see it, you know what the baby's actual name is, too. You're like, yes, it's Astrid. But, of course, it is. And then Michael has to dislike Holly. He has to pretend like she's awful because Jan is Jan. Remember, like, wrapping wrapping the baby up in salad to take photos? Yeah, like... And Jan like losing her mind over it when she when she comes in with the baby already there. It's a very popular '90s uh, photographer that sold all that kind of and Gettys, Gettys, yes. right? Gettys, yes. that's right. Uh, putting the baby in the cornucopia full of all the veggies and everything, and he, he's so distancing himself from Holly in this thing because of Jan. He tells her at one tells Jan at one point that she smells like old tomatoes. <laughs> Been hanging out with Moe's and Dwight yes. on the beef farm. Yeah, it smells like earthy, real earthy. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me because again here, Michael doesn't realize until I think he starts to figure it out at the end of this episode that Jan 
notices that Holly is right for Michael. Jan's threatened by that because Jan just likes the idea of Michael wanting her. And what's the last thing Jan says as they're packing up Astrid and she's Don't date Holly. Home? Don't do that. Do and me a favor. And the question is, Michael then immediately decides, oh, okay, I, wait a second. Why does she not want me? Oh, wait, because that person's actually right for me. And he goes in there and he you know, asks her to date, and they start to date right there in that episode. Right. But, but I wonder to myself if Michael is thinking, I don't want to lose touch with this baby. I want to have some relationship with Astrid. Mm-hmm. And if I go against Jan, if I act like I like Holly, I might never see this kid, even though it's not my kid, that that Michael cares more in that case. Remember a few seasons ago when the baby thing was happening for the first time and Michael all of a sudden wanted to adopt and Pam was just kind of like, no, yeah. like it's going to take too much time. It started when the episodes where he come in and he'd, he'd see Angelina Jolie or that's someone. Right, that's on right. That's right. Oprah. Oprah. Right. Yes. I'm going to be a dad. Wow. What <laughs> happened over the weekend, Michael? But you're again, it's very, very gradual. But once Holly enters the picture, Michael starts to show human characteristics we haven't seen before. And this is one of them. And it's also actually going through the process of thinking through a decision and getting to the right answer based on available evidence. When Jan says, don't do that, that's the first thing that he does because that's what he's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And that's not what you expect from Michael Scott for the first two or three years because Jan's the close thing and Holly is the thing that he's not so sure how she feels, honestly. And not only that, but he probably, and this was a, a great way to write this in in a storyline, but, you know, he was miserable with Jan the whole time they were in their relationship. To evidence to that day at the Steamtown Mall when he takes the ladies out, you know, <laughs> for, for, to buy something at Victoria's Secret. But um, And Kelly, like, sprints into Victoria's Secret. Oh, yeah, she is happy, happy, happy. But, yeah, yeah so it's, it felt right. Yeah. And it goes back to what you said earlier in this podcast about he's able to be himself. He's able to let his guard down. So maybe that enables him to make better choices. Yes. They can be idiots together, as we see at the company picnic. Oh, man. <laughs> Crime Aid. Is Crime Aid the Springsteen? Yes, because. When they don't yes, exist. Yes, and he's yes, like, yes. oh, well, sorry about that. Yeah. And, and their relationship has gone to an intimate level in this. And so they are having office sex and forget and live, leave the office unlocked. And they've been ripped off. And again, Michael can be Michael. Michael's like, are we going to have sex tonight? He yeah. just blatantly asks. Yeah, That's like, something generally you don't the third date is where you have sex. Yes. Are we going to do it? And hell she goes, yeah. hell yeah. And she looks him dead in the eye like, yes, we are. And it and Michael is totally direct, and he's not being a total fool about it, and she's not either. Like their HR rep and regional manager, they're just like, "Yeah, we absolutely are," because there's a connection <laughs> here, and then that connection then lo- leads to theft. What was the acronym for Crime Aid? I can't remember what he because <sighs> it was something ridiculous. Was Crime was Crime Aid itself an acronym? Yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I think you're right about that. I'm gonna look that up right now because. It, it's just there's so much that happens properly around this Holly thing, and I, I did not realize she was going to disappear as fast as she does out yeah, of season can- five because they're going to make you forget about her for a while, but in the back of your head, after this, Michael's going to get set up 
by Pam once, and he's going to end up with Pam's mom for a couple of episodes. He's going to end up with Donna in season six. And after you meet Holly, you don't want Michael to be with anybody else. No. Even though she's not in the picture except like one or two more episodes. And then, of course, she's about to come back right. in season seven in in a major, major way. It's still – you finally – you it's like you've seen the end for Michael Scott. Finally, you know where this thing is supposed to go, mm-hmm. and you're just hoping that it speeds right along to the finish line. Because right after Crime Aid is employee transfer. And that's where they go. Daryl drives them, and they're singing Tom Cochran's Life, Life on the Hot Highway. Life is a Highway. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Holly starts to cry, thinking it's not possibly going to work. And Michael has to make that decision where he ends up going back with Daryl <laughs> instead of staying extra time with her. Crime reduces innocence, yes. and makes everyone angry, I declare. <laughs> I declare. I declare that's going to come is, back. Yes, yes. <laughs> that that one's that one's going to have a comeback as well. So they end up breaking up, and Daryl ends up teaching Michael how to sing the blues at the end of the episode. My one of my favorite little just weird secondary storylines is Dwight becoming like Cornell University super fan to annoy yes. Andy. <laughs> I've I've thought about myself Buying adopting this, or no, adopting this and trolling Paul Koharski mm. and just becoming the biggest stuff. Columbia Lion. Wow, that's fan a great ever. idea. It really David, is. We could yeah. all do that. Just all roll that would in. Would be and so be great. Giant Columbia. Because I do remind anytime he likes to he references Ivy League education, I like to remind him that I did spend a couple of years studying pre-law at Columbia State Community College. <laughs> <laughs> Also, Jim's brothers. We meet them. Oh yes, they're dill holes. Oh, yeah, he's yes. clearly the pick of the litter in that deal. Yeah, like we we talked about the the least likable. Yeah, they're characters very unlikable. Those, yeah, I mean they didn't spend as much time on screen as Ryan, but they are by far the least likable people. Douche factor. Yeah, absolutely. Like terrible douche factor. Oh yeah. Like their collars should have been popped. They should have been wearing croakies on their sunglasses. <laughs> and they should have been wearing visors. <laughs> That's the right. Looking dead at you when I Here said that. Here we go. That's right. AAF shut down because <laughs> stupid Spurrier wearing a visor. <laughs> Pam shows up at Halloween, only person wearing a costume. Because, of course, something has to be awkward. So she's embarrassed. Then customer survey. Oh, man. Which was written by Stephen Merchant. This is one of my favorites. It's good stuff. Oh, man. my gosh. Why does it stand out to you? Well, when... When they first of all, it's you know Kelly juking the stats as as Dwight would say about their customer. The reasoning reviews. is what's ridiculous because though. they would not, they did not appear at her America's Got Talent finale party, <laughs> and she has made coffee mugs with everyone's likeness with the starburst, and I think they actually sold those in the NBC gift shop at Rockefeller Center in New York. They probably that was, Universal Store during the show yeah, as well. You remember exactly. Jim when Jim like figures it out and he starts he goes into the, like the the kitchen area. He's and drinking he out of Andy's. everybody's and he's drinking everybody out. else's. Yes. Yes. But so that and then the whole scenario where they come in with two dummy phones unplugged in the conference room to train and William M. Buttlicker. That's oh, Buttlicker. Our prices have never been lower. You never yell at the customer, Dwight. Never. Also, Pam's at art school. We forgot to mention that you know, right. those, those things are happening. This is not really an obstacle. It's just sort of the final piece of distance before they put them together for forever in terms of to set the final stage. And we get that 
friend of hers in New York is telling her, hey, you need to stay here. If you care about art school, you need to stay here. And it's, uh, why does his name escape me? But he's from Mad Men. Right. And um, it's just kind of, and Jim hears it because they're talking on Bluetooth throughout the whole episode. And you start to wonder, is he going to say, you need to stay in New York? Mm-hmm. Or is he going to see it for what I thought it was, which is this guy wants Pam. And if he can keep her in New York, he feels like, all right, I can oh, yeah. keep them apart long enough. I can get rid of Halpert. Because the company has a policy against eight-hour personal calls. <laughs> the Bluetooth, the Nakahashi B4000 or whatever it is. Because Dwight <laughs> finally see, And that's the other thing that kills me in this, too, is Dwight's talk. And is like, who are you talking to? Get a friend, loser. Yeah, I mean, Jim even jokes that Alex is the guy's name that he's got a crush on on Pam. And I think it's pretty obvious that yeah. that's why that character exists. Or it's or it's existing so that we think that. Because I think in our own insecurity, we're all Jim in that moment. And we're like, nah, Pam, you got to come on back. Like, I can't. I don't, I don't want to hear this. And it's Rich Summer is the guy's name. It finally came to me yeah. once I looked it up on Google. Uh, but, we, <laughs> but we're also, like you said, that we're holding out hope because we know that Jim is a different guy. So there could be that possibility where he tells her, I love you enough that I want you to go chase this dream. Yeah. And if that means staying in New York, it means staying in New York. Right. I just think that now that we're into the fifth season of this show, I'm to the point where I'm like, all right, stop. Stop screwing with me now. <laughs> Get on with it already. Yeah, like I want them to be happy. I want to have hope that that can happen for me. You know what I'm right. saying? Like back when I was watching it at the time. Business trip, Winnipeg. Oh, man. They have a concierge, which is the equivalent of the geisha. <laughs> it's Wendy oh. from um, <laughs> Reno 911 and the Goldbergs. Yeah, she's great. She's great in everything. She's a guess what? She's another improv master. Right. Like everybody that walks onto this show. One of those star troop troop person uh, she's as good as it gets wendy mcclendon covey and uh, the goldbergs is mainly about her i mean i know it's about the younger son but really the star of that show the one everybody thinks of first they think of her they think about the mom and the family and she's good here and of course michael thinks that concierge is something that it's not she they end up at that bar at the same time <laughs> where the twins are uh yes where the twins are <laughs> that's gosh no, actually, the twins were when uh, Pam and Jim got married. Was it? Yeah, because yeah, because oh, Michael leaves. Yes, Michael yes. leaves somebody that's interested yes. in oh, him the, because yeah. Dwight asked about twins and it's two dudes. Right, and he's yes. just like twins. This is where Andy <laughs> is with the cold-shouldered Angela, and so he's not allowed to do anything. But he's going to be Oscar's yeah, wingman Oscar, to help yeah. him out with a uh, a gay partner there, and so he's buying Long Island iced teas for. Chippy McGee and Floppy McDale, or whatever he says their names are. He's, he's, he wants to be the wingman in this thing. And they were like, dude, we're not gay. And so they end up drinking those strong Long Island teas and call Angela drunk. Yeah, they drunk doll Angela. At the same time, we forgot that Kelly's dating Daryl. That's right. And Ryan, of course, can't handle that. Not because he wants Kelly, but just because he wants the idea of yes, Kelly. Yes. Yep. He's that guy. Because that's what that's what Ryan is. He's as annoying as they possibly come. But of course Daryl's like cool with it. When it comes <laughs> when to names like whatever. Text. Doesn't care at all. And then we get to Toby returning from Costa Rica. Holly's gone. Michael also made a phone call. This was another one of those real Michael Scott moments where he calls David Wallace and he's like, Why did you take her from me? 
It's like you knew that I liked her and you took her away from me. Why did you do that? That was such a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, and there is... was true emotion mm-hmm. in in the Carell performance and in Michael Scott in that moment because we know exactly how he feels because we've seen the two of them together. And it's clear insubordination in this phone call, but David Wallace, understanding where the level of anger and source is coming from, lets it slide. But yeah, he's like, the hotels suck, the concierge was whatever, I sat in business class, the shuttle was just a car, you know, we didn't get a limo to the airport. Yeah, he lets him have it. And we're all sort of ready to applaud him. Right. Because it's Michael being one of his more vulnerable moments. Yeah, and he's starting to have a few more of those. Frame Toby was written by Jason Reitman. Reitman, who did Juno and has done a lot of good stuff, did Up in the Air. We talked about him last week. Mindy Kaling actually uh, was part of this episode as well in terms of production. She actually wrote it. Jason Reitman directed it. So Toby's planning drugs that turns out to be salad. Caprizi salad. Caprizi salad. From the two jackals that work for, for uh, what's his name? Vance refrigeration. Yes. <laughs> that see like the dancing later on. They're like, oh, hey, there's yeah. girls dancing. That's one of my we'll favorite just, episodes, yeah, too. Drop what they're doing. Yeah, the uh, Cafe Disco. Got it. Down underneath Dunder Mifflin. Um, Jim buys his parents' house in this episode for him and Pam. And you think when you see it, you're like, oh, she's going to hate it. But again, when it's right, it seems like things become easier. And so, of course, Pam loves it. When he shows her around, he shows her around, and he shows all these blemishes, and you're like, "Gosh, she's this is bad." Shag carpet. Jim has screwed up the clown that won't come that off will the wall. Not come off the wall. <laughs> now he has like got the art studio idea for the garage, which is a good play by him. That was the perfect finishing touch in that. Thing. It was, but the rest of it, it was just like it's just an old house. And remember when Jim tells Phyllis where he lives or where his parents live, she's just not impressed at all. Like you can tell, it's not a great part of Scranton. And this is where you start turning on Phyllis? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> Phyllis, you judgmental, you know what. Yes, exactly. But the thing about it is, even as like tacky and ridiculous as the house is, Pam loves it. Because Pam loves Jim, and Pam's response is, you bought me a house. It's not, look at what's wrong with this house. It's, this is the house we're going to start our lives in together. Mm-hmm. And that's not what you would have gotten from Karen with Jim that's certainly not what you would have gotten with Roy ever doing something like that for Pam that's just another one of those moments where two people that are right together are right together and it works and then of course Ryan goes to Thailand or he says he goes to Thailand and breaks up with Kelly again at the end of that episode also Pam tertiary storyline here is the microwave mess and when he opens when she opens that microwave I'm just like what in like the something world is going yeah. on in there I mean I've seen it here Looking oh, yeah. rough. I don't think I've ever seen it to that degree. It looked no. like half a tomato was stuck to the side of one of those microwave yeah. parts. Yeah, it's like somebody put chili in there and put it in there way too long. Kevin's and it just chili exploded. Yeah, that's another great moment. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it gets it gets so much worse as it continues. It's just like, are they going to go to the title screen, or is Brian Baumgartner just going to roll around in this chili He's for a couple of more seconds? <laughs> I have seen a microwave look like that before, but that was because a spoon was perhaps left in some soup. That's gross. It's very, a very gross. metal spoon? Yes, a metal spoon. Oh, wow. But Pam becomes yeah. sort of like not as popular in the office because of the note. And then in the very next episode, she wants the chairs with the $4,300 surplus money. The old surplus. Yeah. 
which is very good, like another kind of good episode that centers around something happening in the office, finally, where Michael's having to make a determination, and he's thinking maybe he's just going to return it and keep the bonus, and they figure all that out, but it's either between this copier and these chairs. Where are you on that debate, objectively? I think I'm probably with the chairs. I'm with the copier. You're in the paper business. Yeah, but you you sit in a chair all the time. I understand, but... you're you're talking like you're paying Beasley that you're going to get Michael's nice hand-me-down chair. Well, yeah, if you're not getting new chairs, but with forty three hundred dollars, why are you not getting new chairs for the entire office? Because you need proper functioning equipment. Because you're in the paper paper world. As someone who has been in this building since two thousand and ten, yeah, we know how these chairs are. Chairs, yeah. every single time. <laughs> chairs. I mean, look where we're in right now. Single time. All of our backs are shot. Those are the new ones. I know these are these are better. <laughs> these are better. Except I mean, the one, of the one old that has ones. the armrest that's broken. That the, like as soon as you put your arm on it, it breaks your shoulder. In that half. one, uh, that one may actually be in a different studio nowadays. Yeah. Those chairs right there, the upholstery on the ones red is sitting on, would be perfect for Jim's parents' house. That looked like they came from a yeah. casino in nineteen eighty eight. Yes, a nineteen seventies dentist office. Remember when he pulls the paneling off the wall? I mean, that house is a disaster area. Yeah, but Pam loves it. But so Pam wants the chairs. And the awesome part is that Michael, like, sets them so that they're going to argue to where it's too long so he can get his bonus, and he goes in the kitchen, and Oscar's like, we'll go with the chairs. I want to make sure we get something out of this. And then he leaves, and Michael just curses because he realizes he's not going to get his bonus after all. Dwight, like, secretly gets married to Angela That's right. while they're there at the at Shroot Farm. Exchanging German vows. Yeah. <laughs> And she's going to annul the wedding. And now we're getting to this weird part with Dwight and Angela and Andy, which I actually kind of liked it, except Andy at one point was a douche. At this point, he's kind of not. And I kind of feel a little bit of sympathy for him. And Dwight and Angela is just too weird for words. I mean, Angela's about to start licking cats on on videos in front of the office. Oh, yes. I the whole dynamic between to me the the dynamic between Angela and Dwight was something that I think was supposed to make us uncomfortable from the beginning. Well, it did. Again, it, it did not make me that uncomfortable. <laughs> that uncomfortable. Well, Dwight that, Dwight to me had to have some type of depth to him and it, it to me it needed to be a romantic side and to and to me she was the perfect person. So unassuming. <laughs> Of all the people in that office to put together. Yeah, well, they're going to end up having a contract to have a kid. Yes. Well, and here's the thing. The, you know, mutual attraction is both of them are militant people. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, she runs that party planning committee with an iron fist, and mm-hmm. he tries to run everything else with the same, you know, vigor. Uh, like Princess Unicorn. My horn can pierce the <laughs> sky. <laughs> the fact that Michael knows the song. Yeah. That's troubling, isn't it? Also, I love that Toby goes to get the last one, and it's the black doll. And oh, gets it from Daryl after paying twice <laughs> what it's worth. Something Daryl's like, with something it? wrong with the doll, Toby? No, no this, one, no. this one's even better than the, than the one I wanted. <laughs> All because he's slipped to his daughter on the phone. Hey, have you ever heard of Princess Unicorn? And there's no way he's not buying that doll. Oh, yeah, he's got to buy it. There's, there's no choice. But yeah. I think what's interesting about it is I thought in my head, I was just like, did Daryl really need that doll, or is Daryl trying to get money out of Toby by picking it up 10 seconds before Toby wants it and then selling it to him at a higher rate? 
You no, know, I always thought that that's, that's a Daryl move was. right there. Oh yeah, I would. Agree that's with a Daryl that. Philbin move right there. Meredith rehab. Oh, Moroccan Christmas. Her getting out of the car and being dragged mm-hmm. into the rehab center, and then Michael saying, "Oh, turns out you can't just commit somebody; they have to go voluntarily." And he's dragging her in there by heels, saying, "I have a deposit here," <laughs> like he's going to the bank. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. Moroccan Christmas is a great one. And we talked about this in the last episode of this podcast, Pop 6, about enjoying the the holiday episodes mm. of The Office. And this is one of my favorites just because, I mean, you know, Michael is the bartender in this and gives her a once around the block or a little bit of everything, whatever it's called. And with oh, yeah, she in loves there, it. And she is out of her mind. Catch like a suicide, on it's like fire. a suicide when you're a kid. Yes, yes. going to the yes. skating rink. Yes, or the movie theater. Anywhere yeah. else you can pull it off. Boom, 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 boom. Go into yes. a Circle K. The ballpark where we used to play yeah. cup ball. I've, I'm wrong about cup ball. I've I've conceded <laughs> defeat on cup ball. I realized I probably played it. Chad mentioned it to me randomly one day. I'm like, why? Why is this coming back at why me right four now? Four years old if I'm just now learning of cup ball. I'm sure I played cup ball, but I think we had tennis balls, so we played pickle more often than anything else. But you mentioned the party planning committee. This is where Phyllis is tormenting Angela and asking her to do all sorts of outlandish stuff like folded over pitas with various hummus and all this stuff because Phyllis Lightly knows toasted the secret. Lightly both toasted sides. both sides. That's yes. right. But this is, this, is, knows. this is Angela's comeuppance, though. I'm all This is turning you against Phyllis, and this is making me cheer Phyllis. This didn't turn me against Phyllis. Okay. Now, I was We're surprised that then. Phyllis actually revealed the affair. She'd had enough at that point. Her tipping point came very quickly in that episode. Phyllis's or Angela's? Phyllis's. I mean, Angela finally like dared her to do it. Yeah, and she just did it. She's like, "Okay, I'm gonna show you." But everybody knows except the one person that needs to know. Right. Right. Where was Andy during this point? Was he outside or was he with that sitar? He was outside at some point in this deal. Yeah, I mean, the he other missed thing it, too, but I can't remember what he was doing at that point in time. The other thing, too, is watching Angela cringe when Michael said, this might be the best Christmas party we've ever had. Yeah. This is so awesome. And she's got the nativity scene on her desk and says, yeah, oh, uh, takes the wise men can the take, the camel can down. stay, the rest is not uh, on theme, and shoves it in the <laughs> Just, like, pushes all those wooden, like, Including pushes, like, Jesus. wooden Jesus into the... <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's tough, man. Ed Helms has a great talent of being very proficient in instruments and no one else wants to hear. Yes, including the characters on screen. <laughs> he's very good at just being annoying with mm-hmm. everything around him. He's really similar to Dwight. And his, like Dwight and his recorder, you would think, would be just about as annoying as Andy and everything that he does, including mm-hmm. the 12 days of Christmas that he tries to pull for Aaron in the sixth season where he brings out 30 birds, basically, <laughs> that scratch her face half off. <laughs> All right, so Andy finally figures it out, and then it's time for a duel. The duel between Andy and Dwight. (laughs) And then you find out Angela's going to end up with neither of them because even Dwight's going to figure out, eventually, I wasn't the only one she was sleeping with. Right. So maybe that nativity scene needed to be pushed into that drawer a little bit for the way that Angela was living at the time. Because the one person's going to judge her. Just got put in the drawer. Michael's branch is rolling. The company is about to fall completely off a cliff within the next season or so. And Scranton is doing all kinds of business. 
Michael has no idea why, but David Wallace asked him for his insight, and then you hear him try to explain it, and there is nothing there. Like, there's nothing behind it. You never figure out really why they're successful at any point. They they bring him up to various meetings. Uh, he brings Oscar in to talk about accounting at one point. But, like, it's not like you watch them doing anything different on screen do you at think all. It, do you think it's maybe because they wanted you to stay on edge with the possibility that, that the branch would close? Even though... You know, well, I mean, it felt like a company was going to like it felt like a company was right. going down and they were successful. And I was just like, I was interested that they never gave a reason. Right. It's just for whatever reason, these people that we've watched for the last five seasons are getting this done, but none of them know why. Other than Stanley's jacket, other I than feel Stanley's the need. jacket, yes, the need for tweed. <laughs> <laughs> so then they go to Prince Family Paper, where Michael Scott eventually tries to get a job after he quits a little bit later on in six or later in five and they find out look prince paper is nothing special it's pretty much a mom and pop paper company which i don't know why those are things but apparently those are things and there's nothing that he can report back to david wallace and we're starting to see more of david wallace and i think that david wallace character is a solid character on this show he actually does a good job of sounding competent half the time but also being a complete nut job like everybody else half the time, especially after he quits and he's got his kid in there playing drums in his house yeah. and and just kind of goes off the deep end and comes up with the suck it. Get out, you suck it, and you suck it. <laughs> hey, uh, David, now, this is one, and you don't seem to be bothered by these things like we are in Scott's Tots, but this, this Prince wait. family paper, mm-hmm. it makes me uncomfortable because you know what's going to happen. So he's gotten this call from David Wallace, do a little intel on this company, and they end up stealing all their, I mean, they steal all of their clients. They 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 are the downfall of the Prince Family Paper Company, as odd as that might seem. Yes. It's just bad. Well, it was it was actually an instance where Michael was doing something that he th- thought that he should have been doing as a company man. And I, I thought I thought the outcome was always going to be what it, the outcome turned out to be. It was an interesting dynamic to have Michael actually for once looking to do the bidding for the company instead of just rolling his eyes at what the company would want. Uh, but yeah, I mean that, uh, that to me was something that was uncomfortable and why that was uncomfortable to me and not the other stuff that makes everyone uncomfortable. Yeah, that would be my next question. question myself. Yeah. Well, BJ Novak, BJ Novak wrote it. Dan Bacadal, who, you know, now from veep, he's the one that plays Prince's son. The owner of the owner of Princess Paper's son, and he. When I'm reading this now from Wikipedia, it says when Michael infiltrates Prince Family Paper, he identifies himself as Michael Scarn. And if you go back to the second season episode, the client Pam discovers an action film screenplay mm-hmm. starring a character based on himself named Agent Michael Scarn. So Scarn comes midnight. back. To, yeah, exactly. So it comes back twice, but yes. I agree. This is definitely one of those uncomfortable episodes. I love the Hillary Swank angle to this one. Oh, yeah. This is about that argument. The question wasn't, would you do her? It was, is Is she she hot? hot? (laughs) And it was a contentious one. This was actually the lowest rated episode of the season, critically. Uh, It actually, from a rating standpoint, it was good, but... Wait a minute, wait a are we not even going to take on that one, debate? Lowest one. No, I'm I'm just pointing that out. Now we can take on that debate. Yeah, not. Like, not even close. 
It was the lowest ranked episode of the season by the Office fan site Office Tally. Really? Yes. Hmm. So what would yours be? One we've already talked about or one we haven't gotten to yet? What? The lowest rated? Mm -hmm. No, no. I was talking about the Hillary Swing debate. (laughs) Oh, if she's hot or not? Yes, not. She's not. And it's uh, she's one of those people where I've got so tired of Hollywood and the media trying to tell me she was attractive when I knew for a fact, using my own two eyes, that she was not attractive. You saw Boys Don't Cry, didn't you? I saw, no, I, well, saw her in that shower. The, uh, no, I don't think I ever saw that movie. I saw. I didn't do the, yourself a favor. Yeah, you're good, bro. Stop. <laughs> I saw photos of her. <laughs> That's what I needed to see. Uh, here's what the I remember. She doesn't pass the circle test. If you If you make your hand into a circle and just... Put it over her face. Wow. And take Glad out all married. of her hair. She's not attractive. Here's the thing. Wow. Not. I've, I've always said the same thing because I've had this debate before. Because anytime you talk about this episode and the Hillary Swank Kirsten debate Dunst. comes up. Really? Stop trying to push her on me as attractive. Yes. I feel like hmm, both of them have their moments. I think there are times when Hillary Swank can look attractive. There's times where I can look attractive. I wouldn't know. That doesn't make me hot. You I haven't, never you seen haven't one. been around for those moments. One. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, Kirsten Dunst in Spider-Man 2. No. And in Spider-Man. She constantly looks as if she needs a bath. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hygiene is a problem. I think she looks like she's about to cry a lot. Maybe. Because of what David said. <laughs> so what do you think, Rhett? Hillary Swank? I I would agree that there are times that she can look attractive, but again, it's Hollywood stuff. Um, would I say she's hot? I don't. Not necessarily. Whole lot of contouring going on. <laughs> this is quite a debate, quite a discussion. <laughs> Michael cast the winning vote at the very end. That's right. Parting shot. Yes, very parting shot. Then we get another two part episode. Stress relief. Oh man, heart attack episode. Oh yes. Stanley's heart attack. All right, gentlemen, I, I have to ask you this because in this. This was after the Super Bowl, by the way. This was the post Super Bowl. Was it 43? 53? That sounds right. What is XLIII? Is that 40? Roman numerals. Thank you very much. It was Pittsburgh and Arizona in 2008. Yeah, 40, 43. All right, here's the question. I don't think, as funny as this show is, that you will find a funnier first seven minutes of any episode in the history of the show than stress relief <laughs> the fire it's just yeah. yeah it's nuts i mean today smoking is going to save lives it's like oh we are on like donkey Kong <laughs> right now here we go well i mean think about it think about what it's at what it's following it's following what actually turned out to be a great super bowl yes. that Steelers won at the very end where it looked like kurt warner had a shot Right. With Arizona, with Larry Fitzgerald to get that job done. You had that James Harrison play at the end of the first half. Yep. That like big fumble recovery for touchdown. Like it was a really exciting game. But you know what kind of audience you have in that moment. So you can't go out in Mach 2. If you're the office, you've got to come out in Mach 5 and Mach 6 because you've got a lot more people that have not turned that channel that you want to appeal to. And a lot of them at this point, I was just thinking about this, but. A lot of people at a Super Bowl party after the Super Bowl, if you're still there, it's on mute by that point. Mm-hmm. You're talking to people and you're not really paying attention. So you need something visually grabbing. The Office in general is not a visually grabbing no. show. But a fire 
and the cat going through the roof and coming back down through the other side. (laughs) Angela has the cat in the drawer. Yeah, the idea that she had it in the drawer to begin with. Just all of that stuff is something that if I'm at a Super Bowl party in front of a big screen with 20, 30 other people, we're going to look over to that screen at some point and see that just insanity going on. Then we're going to unmute the TV and the office is going to have us that night. And they had me, and they had me this week because I was rolling watching the opening of this episode. Is there an episode that that is more frantic, has a more frantic scene than just that? Of The Office, definitely not. Very few. So it would be something like 24 or something like that that would have something that action-packed. Oscar just like out the door, like uh, trying to climb out the ceiling and – and falling down Angela so to, great. to pick wants to pick Angela up <laughs> ends up throwing the cat up to him I mean it's just it is so chaotic but it is peppered with comedy everywhere it is it really I mean, is running and it from slaps door handle like, yeah door handle to, it's why I love the three stooges it's why I love I the didn't three I did know that about you but if someone had just if it was on a test does Rhett Bryan like the Three Stooges, I feel like I would have checked yes to yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. We grew up. We grew up in an era where the Three Stooges was on after school, though. Absolutely. Well, see, this was me. I grew up with Pat Proft and the Abrams brothers, or the Zuckers, the guys that did Airplane, The Naked Gun, Hot Shots. I grew up during that kind of stuff, and I loved that stuff. And to me, that was sort of the next generation of what the Three Stooges mm-hmm. did. It wasn't as much physical comedy, but it was still that. It was slapstick in its mentality. And I think that it worked for for very similar reasons. This was also an episode Jack Black and Cloris Leachman and <laughs> Jessica Alba were stars that were added to this because it was a Super Bowl mm-hmm. episode, but Greg Daniels didn't want them in the episode because it wouldn't have felt real right. to have had them, so they put them in this illegally downloaded movie. That Andy then like watches a number of different times throughout the remainder of the season in the break room and watches parts of it with Jim and Pam right. as well. And the movie is absurd. Yeah. With Jack Black and Cloris Leachman in a romantic relationship. We always knew, though, that at some point during this series that Stanley was going to have a medical emergency. Sure. I was kind of just waiting for it. I didn't know if I didn't know if it's necessarily going to be a heart attack with his this, temper with Michael and yes. the shenanigans around the office. Twenty two point nine million viewers watched this episode. Wow! Following the Super Bowl, of course, that's the most that ever watched the office. Friends during our trivia contest that Brad and I and his sister were a part of a few weeks ago. One of the questions was, "What's the highest rated episode of Friends ever?" Was it the series finale, which did a fifty three rating, the fourth most watched? In television history? Yes. Wow. But the answer is no. It's not the highest rated episode of Friends. The one that aired after the Super Bowl did more. Okay. And so whenever you're asked that question about a show for some nonsense reason like free pizza, which is not nonsense, Dave. I, not, I'm, what are well you aware. I'm sorry. I just raised your ire. I saw it <laughs> as soon as it was coming out that the horse, horse had seen the barn. It wasn't stopping for nothing <laughs> at that point. Always think to yourself, did this ever air after the Super Bowl? Because if it did, that's going to be your answer. But it could also be, it could be the highest rated, but not the most viewed because there's so many people who just have the television on. And if you had a meter, it's still registering that you're watching this after the Super Bowl, even though you're still just trying to warm up seven bean dip. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) 
So you get so you get that, you get the yoga, you get the meditation, then you get the roast for Michael Scott. Which immediately made me think because Cloris Leachman was in the episode. I remember Cloris Leachman being just filthy on a Comedy Central roast of Bob Saget several years ago and how Cloris Leachman is so respected in the comedy community. She's kind of like a Carol Burnett type. Oh, like, she's hilarious. Yeah, truly hilarious and zany and off the wall. We lost Bob Einstein just a few months ago that played, you know, Marty Funkhauser on Curb Your Enthusiasm, was known for Super Dave Osborne, the long-running deal on Showtime, and was like a one of David Letterman's classic guests that helped make David Letterman what he was in his early days as a variety show host on NBC. And these are the kind of people that the cast of The Office would have idolized. Like, you think about Jack Black, who was also kind of sketchy, did his Tenacious D stuff, and then Jessica Alba, who's just a celebrity. I would bet you that if you and ask fact, the cast of The Office, hot. it's Cloris Leachman that they were most <laughs> most happy about. Yes, Jessica Alba is on the hot scale. There's no doubt about that. But the roast is funny, and Michael Scott doesn't know what to do, and he ends up leaving, and he can't mm. tell the jokes after. Who who nailed the roast the best that went up there? Dwight like doesn't roast. Dwight just gets mad. <laughs> He's like, you little man, don't you ever talk to me like that again. You don't have any friends. You don't have any <laughs> land. You don't have any land. <laughs> uh, I would say Pam just because of Well, she saw, remember she saw his thing. Right, at the fun run. And yeah. so yeah. she says, uh, if it was an iPod, it'd be a shuffle. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty good line. <laughs> I'm like, that's pretty good. Angela did well in the roast. You might be Michael Scott if you... Oh, yeah, you know, that's right. The Jeff Foxworthy angle. Right, right. And then he just basically talks about things... She basically mentions things he's actually done. Right. That are outrageous. Like, these aren't even jokes. Like the the, aim, the fishing Toby scams. stands up, and he's ready to go. Friends only, <laughs> friends only. <laughs> Blocked. Then Michael shows up at the end to roast them. Yes. And he stands there and does what he couldn't do the night before. And he sounds like Andy Samberg at the uh, roast of James Franco where he just finishes up like intentionally bad jokes. And he's like, boom, roasted you. And he like roasts everybody in the office. Then you find out that the ending of this movie is Jack Black discovering that the love of his life <laughs> is an 80 some odd year old woman who's having an affair with a younger man. Oh, gosh. I kind of wish that movie existed. Especially more than some of the movies Jack Black has actually made. <laughs> True. Lecture Circuit. Another two-part episode, but one that airs over two weeks. Michael going on a speaking tour that's going to include Nashua because Pam has what we think is a good idea. I did not expect when I watched this the first time that she was not going to be there. I felt like they were setting us up for them to yep. see each other again. Sure. And you get there. She's got a boyfriend. It's Rob Hubel. And she's not there. And so the whole thing is like a total it's total boner, basically. It's total it's total waste at this point. And of course, all of his lectures are bad. And this is the one where he's like giving people name recognition to how he can remember who they yes. are. And he goes through the full list and he gets to the end and he just points at one woman. He's like, black woman. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Baldy, one eye. <laughs> he also checks. He goes to Holly's desk and he like cuts off part of her, a sleeve off of her sleeve sweater, sleeve off her sweater, yeah. which is actually like you can look at it two ways. 
very creepy or it's actually kind of sweet because we know what Michael Scott, where Michael Scott's heart is here. Yeah. Like he's actually heartbroken. I think it's a combination of both. Yeah, I yes. think you can get both ways. I don't know that that's something I would advise anybody to do no. that's out there listening to this. But then he sees that letter to Michael on her desktop. Yes, yes. And ends up putting it on the flash drive and Pam reads it. I thought, and unless I missed it, it didn't happen, but I had thought that Pam says, look, she's still got feelings for you. I don't want to go into specifics. She deleted it so he couldn't read it. I th- I thought in my head, I'm just like, is Pam just saying that? Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to find out that that wasn't the same Michael and that we were going to go to Jenna Fisher talking to the camera and just saying, I couldn't break his heart, but it was about some supplier for some other company named Michael. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't about Michael Scott, but I just, I felt like he needed this one. But it's not how it really played out. Mm-hmm. He just, she just says, no, he's still got feelings for you. It's not over is how it happens. Same time, remember that Dwight and Jim had missed the America's Got Talent finale party. Well, now they've also missed another event for Kelly for her birthday. <laughs> and so we get the It Is Your Birthday banner and the gray and brown balloons and the cake with the chiclet on it, which is kind of a stroke of genius to give her an hour of watching television or sleep yes taking a nap and she loves it and she buys into the theme and then of course she is able to enjoy that hour and then when that hour is up dwight comes in with trash can lids (laughs) and then says go make up for all the work that you missed while you (laughs) sleep for that hour (laughs) it's 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 great stuff and then that is also uh angela's webcam with lady at home Lady from Meet the Parents, like related to the that cat she from paid Meet the Parents. $7,000 Seven for. Interestingly, I was talking to my girlfriend last week. I had a friend that used to be another assistant manager at GameStop Uh-oh. <laughs> who had a cat that was as tall as this table that he got from Africa. Assistant that cost to the him manager? five digits. And I remember when Rufus, the name of this cat, Wait a minute, never what? has a cat been what? Did he have a lion? All right. I don't know You're if this thing was legal. He said it would was, come up to the edge of the dude. This cat owned the house. He had a well, we went over there. All right, yeah. so we went over there to play poker. We no would go kidding. over there. It's a predator. We had poker nights over there every Saturday. He used to smoke cigars and win all the hands? <laughs> no, there was no cigars, but he could have. But, like, I remember we rolled in, and he had not. He told us he had a cat, and he had some exotic animals. He had, like, a whole room full of aquariums that probably cost 30 or 40 grand. I have no idea how because he had no money. <laughs> He's in, like, a one-bedroom house, and I'm pretty I'm sure go, Rufus, go, I'm about to go apply to GameStop. <laughs> well, like, he's selling we, games out of the back door. <laughs> so this cat's name was Rufus, and he told us he had a cat. So I'm like, all right, cool. That's fine. So we get there, and I sit down on the couch. We're, like, watching a Notre Dame football game or something. And this beast <laughs> walks into the living room and this thing doesn't meow like cats meow no. this thing's meow is more and then chad's like that's 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 a love deal like that's that's just his normal way i'm like my head's on the swivel is all i'm gonna say because he also has claws rufus at this point i'm a little bit larger than i am now rufus really likes me so I'm on the couch. Rufus just climbs up on the couch and lays down on me, and it was like Kevin on Phyllis's lap as Santa in season six. Rufus sits down, lays down on me, looks at me like, hope you had nowhere to go. <laughs> I've got a cup for you if you need to urinate. 
Like it is, it is I've legit. Got, I've got Rufus Dwight's would, two-liter bottle. We would be there to watch football or something like that, and Rufus would go sit in front of the television. And that would be it. Like, Rufus is like, I'm watching the game. I don't know what y'all are doing. I know what you're doing. You're watching the back of me because it took up the whole space. We wow. need photos of Rufus. Dude, yeah, I need to I, see this, too. Abby asked for photos. She was just like, where is yes. Rufus? And so I went to his to his Facebook. Somehow he's gotten married and has a family. And so those photos are are there. I'm like... You've got Rufus photos. I know you do. Now, this was a time when we didn't really have camera phones the way that we do now, mm. but ain't no way you don't have photos of Rufus. I guarantee you Rufus has photos of you. <laughs> yeah. The reason he's married is because Rufus permitted it. And was like, Rufus right. is Russia in this scenario, yes. right? Yes. So every time I think about cats and, and like bizarre cats and everything that's going on with Angela spending seven grand, I always think, yeah, Rufus cost, I think, 15 or 16 wow. from Africa, and I don't know how it got to the States. He bought a furry car. Where was it? Was you got this it off Green? No, this was in Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, my God. Well, I will say this. There are in, in it South. It was a cat, though. In South. Like a, it looked like a house cat that had been blown up in some <laughs> machine. Sounds like a six uh, times the reasonable serval, size. I think those you've are. Seen Charlie, you've seen Charlie, obviously, Hutton's dog. Yes, yes. Rufus's significantly larger than I, charlie I, that's not a cat that's <laughs> not a that is not a house cat of any any variety i, I will say this in south you had carolina to walk it with a leash you know you'd had to walk it if it wanted to walk well no i know i'm <laughs> just saying like rufus had a leash there, rufus walked rufus you. got rufus, rufus <laughs> yeah, who's wearing the leash rufus <laughs> got the mail for that house if he went to the mailbox not in Chad. South Carolina and North Carolina, there are a, a, an awful lot of backyard zoos. That sounds like what this may have been. It was an expensive cat. <laughs> Rufus never like, I mean, I fed Rufus because of course I did. Anytime I had food, I was just like, whatever you want. I'll did you feed him left. other cats? Is that what he ate? <laughs> yeah, I fed him other animals. This is like random animal sharks and T-bone steak. <laughs> I'm like a nice steak. antelope today. Coco the monkey. <laughs> Blood Drive is sort of an odd episode, uh, except yes. that the, the rest of the Valentine stuff is pretty good. You have, like, Phyllis and Bob having sex in that bathroom at the <laughs> restaurant while Jim and Pam are wondering if they've dined and dashed. And they're eating their fries off of Bob's plate. Willy Wonka comes next because oh, we get the golden ticket. Well, we had to talk about Blood Drive because oh, I sure. thought Blood Drive, to me, the tease of Michael and this girl. Yeah, it's interesting. It's I thought it was. I really thought it was going somewhere other than where it went. I didn't know we were having a Jim and Pant moment. Ultimately, lead us back to Holly at some point. I thought there's another woman in the universe that Michael Scott may be compatible with. Yeah, he left her glove behind. Yeah, it's Catherine Azelton. And this is the first time I remember laying eyes on her, and she's certainly more known now for being the main lady on the league on FX for such a long time. She would go by Katie on that show instead of Catherine, but that show that would, you know, birth Nick Kroll and any number of other folks like that. Uh, and now she's in Legion, um, the Noah Hawley show on FX. But first thing I remember ever seeing Katie Azelton in, and I didn't remember it was going to be her until she showed up in this episode. And I immediately started thinking I've never given blood in my life. And the last two times that I've been, you know, I had to get blood work done a few years ago for, for insurance purposes, and I nearly fainted because I hadn't eaten enough and 
I was told in that moment that you need to sit down or be laid down every time that anybody ever does blood work on you because for whatever reason you just can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't get scared. I just sort of I don't know what to do. And so I've like considered trying to give blood a number of times since then. And I'm always sort of worried about that happening. But it is you're you're right because they do seem to fit that Katie Azelton character, but it's almost like it's a hallucination that came about while he was having blood drawn <laughs> that she wasn't even real. But then we go to Golden Ticket. And Golden Ticket is just one of those that is so office it hurts. It's so Michael Scott it hurts. Him coming in dressed as Gene Wilder, screwing up the tickets, making sure that it ends up in the biggest client's hands, Blue Cross of Pennsylvania, and all of them end up there. Well, I mean, his fatal mistake is not checking with Daryl to see. Correct. You know, he had great intentions, but not he knowing that. He often does. Right. But not knowing that that's their largest client that Daryl says delivers three pallets of paper to them every week. And, of course, Michael tries to blame it on Dwight to try and get out of trouble <laughs> and then finds out, no, it's a stroke of genius. It works really well. You've landed the account as the official paper and office supply provider. Yes. Or Blue Cross Blue Shield of Pennsylvania. And so then Michael has to admit, and then Dwight has to admit, because Dwight's going to actually stand up to to do whatever's right in that situation. So it's just calamity failing all over the place with these people. But you, again, here see Dwight cares about somebody other than himself. Mm-hmm. You get that from time to time. You can't get it too much because Rain Wilson still has to be Rain Wilson. Yes. But you do get moments where you know he cares about Pam on a couple of different occasions. Like when he consoles her when she's crying outside of that mixer early in the show. And like just protecting her, protecting Jim from Roy. Like there's just moments where he steps in to do sort of what you would consider to be the noble thing. Even if you don't know where his heart is. or Or if he actually has one. At that point, Charles Minor then shows up and he's going to be with us for about not nearly as long as I thought he was going to be with us. First of all, um, Idris Elba comes in fresh off of being Stringer Bell on the wire. And Charles Minor is no nonsense and does not care, basically, and doesn't like Michael from the get go. Doesn't like Jim because Jim's worn a tuxedo to work that day (laughs) because Dwight's been making comments about the dress code. So totally wrong on that one. And then, of course, Kelly and Angela both start vying for Charles Minor's affections. And Charles Minor is a flawed person in his decision-making skills because he Very. believes that Dwight Schrute yes. is his number two, not Jim. Yes. Doesn't, um, even, doesn't even look at like Jim trying to do work. And I'll, I'll tell you this, guys. Uh, Charles Minor, Idris Elba, I, he's a fantastic actor. I love him in the BBC series Luther. He's great in Luther. He's great in The fa- Wire. Yeah, he really is. And I hated him in this. Of course, oh, I was supposed yeah, to. Yeah, you're supposed to loathe him. I'm like, man, I cannot wait till Charles Miner's gone. So the fact that he, you say I he thought wasn't, he was on so much longer. Yeah, I'm because glad he I wasn't. hated him so much the first time <laughs> I watched it. I think it's because he that character was, was such a heavy. Yes, like you, you have. He was this, the opposite of Michael Scott. You have this memory of him being around for a whole lot longer. Playtime is over. Didn't like it as much. Yeah, it was bad. It, it truly was bad. And then, of course, Michael's going to quit at the end of that first episode when he shows up. Tells David Wallace, "I quit." After they're going to cancel Michael's fifteenth anniversary party, and 
Michael wants to continue having a party planning committee and all the things that, again, what's the office mainly about? It's about how can we make work fun by not doing work. By not doing it. <laughs> and Charles Miner is such a hardliner. He's on Stanley's case, too. Yeah, I He's I making Stanley pay attention and put down the crossword puzzle book. Doesn't that feel like to to you, I'm going to take the other person that everyone would assume erroneously on the surface that I would be predisposed to give yeah. a break to because they're both African-American. And Charles Miner's like, nope, I'm going to make an example out of that guy. Yeah. Which isn't really the way you should be. No. You should treat people equally no matter what. You shouldn't have to key in on various factors. But it also kind of is exactly what you would expect a Charles Miner to do. So Michael leaves, and he starts goofing off. He starts doing ridiculous things, not caring very much for the last couple of weeks. And then, Pam, of all people, when Michael Scott is trying to come up with letterheads and gets caught, putting Michael Scott Paper Company on the top of a Dunder Mifflin letterhead and trying to get some clients out of there. He gets escorted out, comes back in, and you wonder who's going to leave with him. And it was either going to be nobody or it was going to be, I thought it was going to be more than one person. And it turned out of all people to be Pam Beasley, who again, at the very beginning of the show, the first interaction you ever see on The Office is Michael Scott and Pam Beasley. And it's the most important person in the office from a hierarchy standpoint to the lowest of the low in the receptionist, with the exception of the temp, but I don't even include B.J. Novak in this discussion. I think that you can trace the office to Michael and Pam more than you can anything else because everything else flows through those two characters. Jim flows through Pam and flows through Michael. Dwight flows through Michael Everybody else goes through one of those two characters because those are the extremes. And then here you're going to see Michael actually let her be a saleswoman Mm -hmm. and give her an opportunity to do more in her life than she was before. And then they go to the bowling alley to get Ryan where we get, get back to work shoe bitch and they steal the shoes and run out. And for some reason, Ryan has the most atrocious, like bleached, hair that you've ever seen like he looks like he looks like he's been in a cult somewhere you no know, he looks like he is like a meth smoker that would have gone to captain cook before jesse pinkman actually <laughs> met walter white in breaking bad good reference it's not the worst it's not the worst i've ever seen i have a photo of myself from early 2000 <laughs> little frosted did you go down there, that Dave? road oh no no it was it was straight up 1980s rick flair bleach blonde Wow. Oh, There's a photo of it somewhere. Uh, there better be. Yeah, we need to we see need to that. Find that. We need to find Rufus photography. Yes. Those are the two things that I'm searching for hard right now. Uh, Jim plays soccer with Charles Minor. That yes. ball goes directly <laughs> into Phyllis's face. <laughs> but why is Charles Minor kicking it that hard? Like, when you see him kick, like, I know we're supposed to dislike him, but we're playing in a parking lot of Dunder Mifflin. And it's just like random people in regular dress clothes, like regular work clothes. And Charles Miner's out here like he's Zinedine Zidane just firing this thing directly Who at is Jim. That? He's the one that headbutted during the World Cup years ago. He's now a coach for one of those oh, okay. I don't know. It's not like I'm going to try I just I, had, soccer. I thought he had. It's about the office. It ain't about soccer. He had. Uh, might be the world's game. It ain't Jason's game. He had the idea that. That Jim was putting him on. That that's what I got out of that. That he knew deep Maybe down. Maybe so. Yeah. This was just another tactic of Jim trying to 
make a connection and suck up to him. Meanwhile, Vikram arrives and they end up in a closet. Michael Scott's paper company in the same building ends up in a closet. Uh, they host a pancakes luncheon in the next episode where the pancakes are shaped like paper. So they're big, <laughs> giant rectangles. Yes. And for some reason, that's a problem. I don't for people that and then like Creed, not, it's not for me. Creed, <laughs> I can barely even get this out. Creed's standing there. And Creed's like, I don't even want these, and he takes out four of them that he's already shoved in his coat and it's just the, slams them down like they're reams of paper and walks off. Classic office klepto. It's just amazing. Oh, but man. and then Aaron shows up. This is where Ellie Kemper arrives, and. Charles Miner's going to be around for a few more episodes. We're starting to get towards the end of the episode. We're also about to find out just how broke Michael Scott's paper company is because they're undercutting. They're just, they're not, they're trying to steal clients by offering things that they can't offer. But in maybe the most brilliant move Michael Scott ever pulled off. That negotiation where he's able to land them all their jobs with insurance benefits, where Pam can be a salesman, you were waiting for that to get screwed up. They were waiting for it. Ryan and Pam were so afraid. And remember, Michael, when they were coming up the elevator, he's like, I'm so afraid I'm going to say that we're broke. And they're saying, you know, don't say it. And Michael pulls it off beautifully. We are worth nothing. Yeah. And if I go out of business today... I will start another paper company and, and another, another paper and company. Another, I have an endless supply no, awesome of companies. Names. Like Michael, that's, that's one, one of them. Of them. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and they get exactly what they want, and they also get Charles Miner out of there, which is the icing on the cake. Yes, yes, sir. Steve Carell. Steve Carell directed that episode. Then we get Casual Friday, Cafe Disco, and oh, Company man. Picnic to end the season. And all of them have their advantages. Cafe Disco is a lot of fun. God, I love that episode. The uh, Kelly and Andy dance-off that takes place amidst <laughs> that episode. That's one of the highlights. Uh, Creed provides the disco ball, but I'll have no idea who's no behind idea me. No idea who's behind that's me. That's his rearview mirror. And Dwight is giving that long massage to Phyllis. Yes. Where Phyllis you have like, a jokes knot. that Bob's going to have an affair. You have a knot in your crest. That's <laughs> right. But, yeah, so everybody's bonding an episode. Then you get to the company picnic, and that's where we finally see Amy Ryan again. We see Holly again with all the branches, and they are putting together a skit, and they say the Buffalo branch is being closed. Well, they say a branch is being closed. Mifflin Air. And they are, again, pitch perfect together because they're both so oblivious and naive to what things should be. The volleyball tournament becomes a thing. Charles Miner's back for one more episode. Pam is a superstar volleyball player, but Pam's also pregnant, and that's how the season's going to end. What? Spoiler alert. Pam learns when she gets hurt, when her ankle Turns gets her ankle. hurt, yep. that she is pregnant, and the episode ends with, go ahead and put in the subs, and then Jim rolls back into yeah. the room with her, hugs her, and that's the end of the season. And that, to me, is that's a great, great way to end that year. And let me say one other thing, too, in, in the company picnic Dwight's friend Rolf, oh yeah, has some of the most crazy lines, and he that that one that part just keeps me rolling. The way he talks to Angela, oh man, like broke his what friend's heart. What is one heart. fiance plus one lover equal one whore? <laughs> I mean, he is, and they're talking about the level of deet in their sunscreen. Rolf their, is 
He's hardcore, man. I mean, the acronym is rolling on the floor laughing. Bingo. And uh, Rolf is James Urbaniak. And he does a lot of voice acting work. He hasn't done like, well, I mean, he's done more than you would think. But he's he's generally, he's not somebody that you know. So he's perfect for this because you can see him as his character. You don't see him as anything else mm-hmm. for the most part. Now, he's done some other things. But Company Picnic was a good way to end five. And now we get to six. And six is going to get us within four or five episodes to uh, Niagara. And that's where Jim and Pam are going to get married. And that's where I think this show took a turn. And I remember when I watched it originally, when I watched The Office live as it was happening. And season six came around, and this was 2009. I moved to Kentucky in August of 2009. I moved away from South Carolina when I had to make some decisions about, am I going to start over or am I going to marry Jan, basically? Am I going to marry what's entirely wrong for me because it's here? Or am I going to admit that I've gotten some things wrong in my life, swallow some pride, go home and do some things. So I'm already, I watched season five with her and did not enjoy it nearly as much because uh, things in my life weren't right. Season six begins and I am now in Kentucky. I'm still a year away from going back to school at Western Kentucky, certainly about three years away from ever darning the door of this place or about three years away from knowing this place exists because I didn't know about Nashville radio until someone accidentally mentioned it to me one afternoon, and now you look at where we are today. But when we get to Niagara, after gossip, which is good, and the meeting and the promotion, we get to this episode is written by Greg Daniels and Mindy Kaling and directed by Paul Feig. And by the end of Niagara, I felt like that there were stories and there were characters on this show that I just about had enough of. And it wasn't just Ryan. It wasn't just Ryan Howard. It was, this is where Phyllis and some of these other characters, I was just like, I'm done. They're all so self-absorbed and selfish. And I know that we were supposed to hate Michael Scott at the beginning, but all these people are a bunch of Todd Packers to me. It felt like all of a sudden the writing started trying harder to accomplish the same goal. Like we had started on marijuana and now the weed wasn't doing it for us anymore. So we're going to lace that with opium and then season five hit. And now we're in season six. And now we need meth and full blown crack to still have the same deal. It's like, we've gotten accustomed to a certain level on the office and now they're going to keep on pushing it. And they're going to push it in a direction where it's unnatural. I did not like, and you even start to dislike Jim and Pam a little bit towards the end of season six. Now, there are some there are some great episodes in season six. Don't get me wrong. But five was the peak, right? It started to go back down, even yeah. though I think that because of Holly and Michael, season seven holds a special place for me as well. But I also think that once we finally got Jim and Pam married off, there was going to be a natural decline, no matter what was going on. It's like Steve Austin finally getting the WWE championship. There was going to be be a fall off after that, but I do get the sense that there was a lot of stuff that was forced trying to make other characters bring them to the forefront. They were running out of ideas, Mm -hmm. and when you run out of ideas, you get to a place where you start taking people to space for example, or taking them underwater or the dreaded, we're going to go on vacation episode for a family sitcom. Mm -hmm. And they end up in a place and they argue the whole time. What happened to everybody loves Raymond, like four seasons in, 
is that it became Ray Romano and Patricia Heaton yelling at one another for 30 minutes and the parents getting in the way. And I loved it because I just loved those characters. But it became hard to watch because it's like, why are these two people married? Why are they together? It was giving you, to me, an unrealistic portrait of what a marriage is supposed to be. And that's what Hollywood does. They try to tell you that everybody gets divorced. Everybody hates one another. Everybody is cheating, including your spouse. And it turns out the stats don't back that up at all. But that's the way that they create drama. So Jim and Pam are going to have some issues. Andy and Aaron, which you start to see towards the end of six, could have been a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. and was the exact opposite because of the way that they wrote it. But you go through Niagara and they get married. I do love how they ended it with them getting married on the boat together and then coming back and going through the motions. That's what they did in How I Met Your Mother, actually, where Marshall and Lily got married together out by a tree and then went through and did the ceremony back inside for everybody else. Because what I got from Niagara was Niagara, for all the other characters not named Jim and Pam, they were all there for them. They weren't there for Jim and Pam early on. Jim and Pam were the only ones that were in it together. And, of course, Jim's the one that spills the beans about Pam being pregnant. To Meemaw. At the toast, to Meemaw. <laughs> and Michael gets with Pam's mom, which is unexpected, but okay, sure. Then we get Mafia, which is just kind of a fun episode afterwards. <laughs> it really is. Uh, the Lover, Koi Pond, uh, the Double Date, and then the Murder episode with I Declare, and this is where Michael just can't face reality. Where Michael, it it feels like this company is going down completely. Oscar's terrified. He's trying to get answers. Jim is ready to go back to work. And Jim's now a co-manager as well. That's a thing that has happened, which is an odd turn of events, the way that the story played, where Michael tried to undercut him until he realized that Jim had come up with an idea that was going to get them both promoted, that he wasn't trying to replace him, and that the company wasn't just trying to replace Michael Scott either. But the murder episode was just kind of a good... It was a good microcosm for Michael Scott still not fully being comfortable in his own skin and not being ready to fess up. And then you get shareholder meeting when they go in the limo, <laughs> and Michael Scott like does the 45-day plan and the, and the guns... And brings in Oscar, who can't talk, and they call him a buffoon, and they steal the limo at the end. And then, episode 12 of season oh. six, Scott's Tots. And, folks, I watched this yesterday for the first time since it aired. I would not let myself look away. I would not let myself cringe. I watched the episode. I lived to tell about it. People were saying on Twitter to me, prayers for you for this. <laughs> I skip this one when I'm going back and watching because it is cringeworthy, but I gained a new respect for it. I loved this episode, as a matter of fact, when I got to the end of it because Michael Scott did not come up with some zany excuse. When he realizes this was up, that this 10 years has happened, Stanley's laugh. And Stanley's got the newspaper clipping still up there and everything else. Michael Scott stands up there and just admits the truth. That he screwed up. That he thought he was going to be somewhere that he wasn't. That he's not. That he's so sorry. And those kids have danced for him. And you're going to make our dreams come true. And the whole song. Michael Scott, what you going to do? What you going to do? Make our dreams come true. They're all wearing the shirts and everything. But Michael Scott doesn't try to weasel his way out of it. He admits this, and then he gets in the car with Aaron, 
and he tells Aaron, I think you're doing a really good job. I think you're going to be good here. I think you're going to, it's like a very, Michael Scott's just a normal human being that's flawed like everybody else. It's not over the top. There's not a bunch of joking and all this. This was a turning point where I feel like Michael Scott grew up in the middle of season six as a, not just in his personal life, but just as an adult. This was as Michael Scott as an adult as I think we've ever seen. Because he realized at that point being Michael Scott had consequences for people outside of himself. There was, it was like the first yeah. time that he, there were real consequences for his action that affected other people. There was a fantastic line where he's like, I've made a lot of unreasonable fake promises throughout my life. This one is definitely the most extravagant. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right to the degree that his character is growing up and it's possibly the precursor to prepare him for a long-term relationship with the love of his life. He's going through a lot of stuff and without getting too esoteric with it, you go through things in your life that you are never necessarily going to understand why you did, but then you get to something else and you can point back to moments where there was a growth in, in your maturity level or something that happened within you that enables you to finally get to the top step that you've been climbing to that you didn't even know you were on that staircase to begin with and usually it's not the idea of hindsight being 2020 is absolutely true but scott's tots and some of the things that he did even not screwing up the end of the michael scott paper company episode and finding a way to get them all their jobs back and staying with pam over ryan when it was just one of them that could stay on as sales Michael Scott is doing things that indicate much of what we used to know is no longer there. He's now becoming the person that can be a father, that can be a husband, that can be a provider, that can be a leader, that can be everything to someone else. And I felt like watching Scott's Tots, you got this. Now, the reason Scott's Tots is so hard to watch is because of the build before he speaks. Because you know that these kids are about to have their dreams crushed. And what they do for the first 11 to 12 minutes of this episode is let them celebrate him to a degree where you're just like, oh my goodness, none of you are going to college. He does have laptop batteries for you, though. (laughs) First you're like, is he going to give them laptops? No, but they all use batteries. Here's Great an extra laptop gift. battery. Yes. And then he offers books to the one kid. Oh. And the kid's just like, those are expensive. $1,000 a year. And Michael Scott, who we already know doesn't make any money because we saw that episode where Daryl tried to get his raise. And he's like, you barely make more money than I do. So a lot of things that are being called back here. But Scott's Tots, which did an 8.1. The episode before did a 7.4. Nothing since Koi Pond, which we did not talk about. And Koi Pond's another good one (laughs) (laughs) where you see Jim not trying to help Michael when they actually go and watch that video. A couple videos pop up. You get the webcam. You get the Koi Pond. You get Kevin as Cookie Monster, which is really, (laughs) really funny. Spot on. And then Kevin trying to do that with Oscar and the count. (laughs) The count. Because and it's not an working except it. for Michael Scott. I thought it worked. When I saw it, I'm like, that's pretty good, Kevin. And then Oscar said it should have been Oscar the Grouch, 
which didn't even <laughs> feel like it would have necessarily happened. Kathy Bates comes in. We get Secret Santa, and that's where the 12 Days of Christmas come in, and Aaron nearly dies because of 30 birds. Oh. The drummers end up at the end of that episode. My, uh, uh, Dwight gets the machine that he thinks is a gun that's actually a nutcracker. Nope. And the reason it's a good gift, and it, Michael's the one who gives it to him, you see that because of the look on Michael's face when Dwight finally cracks the nut. But it wasn't about giving him a nutcracker. The gift was, what is this machine, Dwight? Put this thing together over the last however many days. The gift is the discovery because that's what Dwight Schrute is. Dwight didn't care about cracking nuts. I mean, he does. At the end, he's like, oh, I can crack all these nuts. But in my head, I'm like, the Dwight Schrute that I've come to know appreciates the caper, appreciates the chase, appreciates the investigation, the detective work. That was the gift. So Michael Scott actually got Dwight in that moment. He's not just the dude with the whoopee cushion at the wedding for Jim's douchebag brothers who show back up again one more time. <laughs> and, of course, they have a terrible prank, too. We didn't even talk about it. Pam's prank was so much better yes. than theirs was. Definitely. I mean, rings are not cheap, so I'm told. So, <laughs> And losing one would suck. Would be frightening. It would suck. So Sabre comes in, and Sabre is going to be with us for the remainder of season six. Kathy Bates is real good at playing a Southern. I'm trying to think, is Sabre basically Hewlett Packard? I feel like that's what it is. Even though they're not making computers, I felt like Kathy Bates was kind of like a Meg Whitman except not from the West. Instead, they make her sort of a Southern character where right. Michael thinks he's going to visit her house. <laughs> and she's she's a little bit hard-nosed, too. She probably would have gotten along fine with Charles Minor. Yes. Yeah, that, that would definitely that. someone would, that would have flourished under her employ. We also get another unlikable character who is, if you read about what other improv comics believe is the perfect improv comic and the person that they're just blown away watching, it's this guy named Zach Woods. Zach Woods, who's now on Silicon Valley, that was also on Playing House, which is a great show on USA that lasted for a few years. If you have not watched it, please go f- try to find it. It's brilliant stuff. But Zach Woods plays Gabe on The Office. And he plays awkward, but at times straight-laced guy in the midst of ridiculousness about as well as anybody. And he's as quick-witted. People say that his talent is through the roof. That Gabe character is so annoying from the second that you meet him. And it's because Zach Woods, I don't think anybody could have played that role except Zach Woods. There's some people you can look at and say, all right, this guy could have been Oscar. This person could have been this character. Nobody but Zach Woods could have played that Gabe character. There's no way in the world because you have to be this absolutely paint-drying, twice-boring <laughs> guy to pull this off. Yeah, so much of so much of what he was was the way he looks to me. Like Absolutely. Big, tall he's, drink of water, yeah. He's, he's difficult to look at for me, and that just goes right along with his character. His character is difficult to be around. Yes, it is. So what of these last, like, well, well, let's get to the baby episode. We do need to talk about that. Uh, Pam's going to give birth in the delivery, a two-part episode that only did a nine rating. Not that that's bad. It was it was much higher than anything else that season outside of Niagara, which I guess stands to reason. Interesting and lo- interestingly enough, when you get to the end of the season, the whistleblower episode, just a six point six. I mean, this show had dropped off significantly from an eight and a 
mid sevens range show, sometimes hitting nine, to the last three episodes of season six being a six eight, a six six, and a six six. And I I just feel like you definitely peaked in five. You're starting you're starting to grip a little bit. You're starting to push some things that don't feel natural. And thank the Lord that where we're headed next is Michael and Holly. Because that's going to extend the life of this show mm-hmm. as a at a high point for one more season before then we'll have those debates about everything else. But if you look at St. Patrick's Day, new leads, which is it's funny that you know Michael's hiding leads and food <laughs> and all sorts of things like that. Happy hours, fine. Secretary's Day, Secretary's Day is pretty good. It's weird that Michael Scott doesn't get along with Aaron. Like taking her out, it's awkward. And Michael's just seemingly very cold towards her. Seems like they would have gotten along really well. And then you get the couple of episodes with Donna. Yes. And find out that Michael Scott is the mistress. That she's married. And then the cover-up happens. And then saber printers start blowing up. Start catching fire. And that's how we get to the end of the episode. So, Or to the season. When you get to the end of five, I think we're at a real high point And we had a really cool cliffhanger. Now that we're getting to the end of six, how do you feel about the end of six, this last stretch? You know, I think it it left me wanting more for certainly, you know, just the better quality after seeing what season five was. But the thing I'm thinking about through this whole thing is the end of season five, that last episode is episode 100, which means you're in syndication now. You're You're hitting that magic 100 episode number. So this is going to have some staying power. But it's got to pick up some steam because six left a lot to be desired, even though it had some funny moments. So the season ended in May, two months before the finale. Actually, on my dad's birthday, March the 5th, 2010, NBC announced the seventh season. It'd be 26 episodes. Four were going to be hour long. And Steve Carell confirms at that point in time, I'm done. Season seven is it for me. And then you know that you have to watch because... You know what season seven is going to be. Mm-hmm. Season seven is going to be everything to get Michael Scott out of this show the right way. And that is why season seven to me is going to be a resurgent one that I'm really looking forward to going through this week and, and talking about next week with you two and with Jeff Schwartz because now we're going to get the full on Holly's about to come back into the show because of something that's going to happen with Toby. And then it's on like neck bone with those two characters and those two characters we have not had a chance to get tired of yet and we have to get to michael's just final that final moment in the airport that i consider the de facto end to that series for me and where the show should have ended and we'll have that debate even though there were you know the finale was tremendous to the actual series the exit of michael scott that's going to happen over these 26 episodes largely was a a thing of beauty for this show i just think we got so much of what we had been waiting for when jim and pam finally got married um we were needing something to fill that void and we knew we wanted it to be michael and holly yes and then like you said once you knew that michael scott was not long for the show to me that breathed even more life into it because you knew that Everything you'd seen in the great seasons leading up to that, you had full confidence that they were going to come up with a great way and an entertaining way to get Michael Scott to a better place 
so he could leave that show. So I'm you're you're there's a lot of optimism at the end of six, even though it was not quite top to bottom what season five was. No. So what are our best seasons so far? Three, three and five. Three, three and five. five are the two best. Yeah. Then where would you go? Two, probably two. And then yes. four. Yeah, because uh, even though it was uneven, definitely yeah. uneven. Yeah, it's hard for me to go one there just because we still didn't know exactly what we were. Yeah, one was one was one's hard to even rate. Like I'm not going to call one the worst season. It's almost like it's a different show. Mm-hmm. Like we're barely even watching the same show at that point. Sure. But would you say four is better than six? Six is the worst yes, one so far. I would say that. Season one is like an independent rock band on an EP. You know, Billy Joel rock band. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that exists. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do you feel right now? We're about to get... I'm excited about this coming week in my life just because I get to watch this yeah. Holly Michael thing again for the first time really in its entirety since it aired. I have watched the proposal episode a number of times because I love it so much and the episode where he leaves, but all the stuff leading up to it, the woof.com and yes. all that stuff. I haven't watched <laughs> that stuff since it aired. And woof.com is a good episode. I haven't watched it since about this time last year. So well, I'm looking forward to doing it again. To your point about Michael leaving in the airport, at the end of season seven, that is that should be the de facto end of this thing. Um, I'm I'm glad that we're going to have this to go over, but I'm also dreading mm-hmm. what's when we get after. to that point because I would liken this in a small way to episodes of Andy Griffith's show. You know, Not Andy, I I don't. Anything in color? Anything, yeah. When it when it went to color, when it comes when that whistling same. comes on and they're walking around the lake and it's in color, I'm out. Next, and uh, there are a couple of good episodes in eight and nine, yeah. but the finale is worth the wait. The finale is tremendous. We were talking to Brittany and Avery who are doing you know uh, step one learn sports right now, and I think it's a really cool idea. And we've talked about it a couple of times already on this show. I talked about it on the Big Six as well, and Brit and uh, Brittany said that she had not seen the finale of The Office because right. she stopped watching after Carell left. Now, I can't blame her for that, yep. but she needs to watch that. Like, she didn't have to watch any of the stuff that happened nope. between no. him leaving and that episode. But you, if you're out there right now and you did the same thing, go back and watch that finale. Not just because he's in it, but because they get everything right on the way out the door for that show. It is well worth it. It is a. It really is. Uh, a, a beautiful thing. So that's a whole lot on five. We ran through six about as fast as I thought we were going to. <laughs> Is there anything that we left out? What was the best joke that you can recall when you went back through it this week? Anything you laughed at harder than the opening after the Super Bowl? <laughs> um, no, because the, I mean, the that cat was, falling through the, the ceiling. I don't know why. It's my favorite part. Now I just now I'm trying to envision Rufus falling through the ceiling. Dude, oh wow, the, the ceiling would ceiling collapse under hold his him, weight. Yeah. <laughs> The whole building might have collapsed <laughs> under his weight. i got to try to find those photos to be sure. All right, so hit up at David Reed Radio. Hit uh, Rep B Tennessee. Hit me at Jmart Zone. Hit us at 104.5 The Zone. What did we miss? I'm sure we missed a lot because there's just so much happening. And it's hard to take notes on a sitcom and still be in the moment the same way that you can with a drama. So I don't have all these one-liners 
you know, written down in front of me, but a lot of them certainly are coming back to us. Season five was was so much fun to watch. Six less so, but I'm really looking forward to kicking off season seven tonight. We'll talk about that next week, seven and eight, with uh, with Jeff Schwartz, and we'll actually have him this time. That'll be a thing. <laughs> That'll be a thing. Operator error, not management material. ID ten T error. Uh, absolutely right. This is why we should have gone for the audio board, not the chairs, Pam. See you next week. It's been the Office Pop 6. Again, we really appreciate you guys listening uh, and subscribing and letting other people know about it. Numbers are are blowing us away, so we hope that you dig this. Have a good weekend. We'll see you next week. Promise that made us honest, made us realize we don't need a compromise because we, we can, can have, have it all. Because you made it possible for us to achieve the improbable. Hey, 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 hey Mr. Scott, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? Make our dreams come true.